Hello, and welcome to Tops 10, brought to you by KTXT Radio and the College of Media and Communication at Texas Tech University in beautiful Lubbock. Tops 10 seeks out successful and influential people in politics and government, the many professions, the physical and social sciences, or the arts and humanities, and asks them to reveal their lives, ideas, and ideals through their playlist. Our format is simple. We ask our guests what pieces of music mean the most to them and to tell us the story behind the infatuation. Mr. Derek Ginter is our producer engineer. Dr. Todd Chambers is also a host, but not with us today. Miss Lindsay Coronado, one of our undergraduate majors, is our researcher. And I'm David Perlmutter, a professor at and dean of the college, and the originator and sometimes host of Tops 10. Today I have with me Christy Martinez-Garcia, who is the founder and publisher of Latino Lubbock Magazine, which is serving all of West Texas, maybe even more soon. You could tell us a little about that. <laughs> Welcome, Christy. Oh, thank you, Dr. Polmetter, for the invitation. Very excited to be here I like to morning. be called Jefe. You know, by my friends. El Jefe. We yeah, can do that. Okay. <laughs> I think for our Anglo audience, maybe you should, you should tell, what, what, is, what does Jefe mean? Means the boss man. Yeah. It had like a connotation of like like Santa Ana, the boss man, or like, you know, it like, could. like it a could, but Cadillo or something. <laughs> I think nowadays, especially this generation, uses it more as a little bit of a sign of a respect. So that's a oh, good thing. Well, I don't think they mean it that way. So it's that's not right. Necessary. I have some other words, but we probably are you don't called, want to share yeah, them. You are the boss. You, I you am. are the boss of Latino Love. But you founded yes, it. I did. You 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 publish it every month. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the how do you how do you publish a magazine like that that serves a particular community, but of course is of interest to many communities. Absolutely. Well, Latino Lubbock Magazine is now in Lubbock in 21 rural communities. We have about 100,000 readers a month, and that is just amazing considering we just turned or celebrated our eighth birthday, and we have really enjoyed serving our community. And um, it just kind of started and. When I moved back to Lubbock from Washington, D.C., after working for National Council of La Raza, it just seemed like the perfect need for the community, especially because I kind of researched some of the local media and found that 80% of the news about Hispanics in Lubbock was related to crime, negative, or immigration. And I wanted people to see that we were so much more than just that. Now, tell us about where were you born? You know, you said you moved back to Lubbock. What is mm-hmm. your history of Lubbock? I was actually born in Lubbock, but we moved away to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. But we moved back to Lubbock after the 1970 tornado because my grandfather lived here. And he actually came to Lubbock to kind of serve the migrant community. Um, in many regards, I am my grandmother, I'm grandfather's granddaughter, with no doubt. He was committed to the community, and especially the Hispanic community. He, he had been born in Lubbock? He'd no. Grown. He was actually from South Texas. He was born in South Texas. And he was very active in the church where he lived in South Texas. And there was like this boom of, of migrant workers coming to work here. And so the church, he and the, and the priest were really close and he suggested that he come out and try to save people, I guess you could say, and just kind of get people on that right path and connected and give them some hope. So that's what he did. And when he got here, of course, he had to find a job and he helped to find folks work in agricultural areas, which, of course, that's just make it a little bit of a better transition, make sure everything was legitimate as well. So that's what he did, and he was very involved in the Catholic Church, involved in um, helping to, really, he helped to build Our Lady of Grace Church. So very connected with a priest that has passed. His name was Curtis Hoffman. They were best friends. 
We have a really good story in how we laid out the path for a lot of Hispanics in the community. And one thing that was really significant is that my grandfather was part of the March of Faith. And how that was started was because of the Cruciistas. And there was a lot of um, issues with racism and, and police brutality. So all these folks from the church community gathered together and they did a March of Faith. And I love hearing the story. And it's been wonderful to know that my grandfather was instrumental in that, that regard. Was there music in your house? A lot of our guests talked about growing up where the mother would sing while cooking or they would just, it's hard for a lot of, uh, I think, young people now to understand that before you plugged your uh, headphones into an iPhone and you potted yourself away from the world, music was more of a communal activity than an individual listening habit. For me, music was everything. Not only, my mother is an amazing singer, she also plays the guitar. So I had music all the time. And the way that I remember my mother, because in the morning when she was preparing breakfast, she was also whistling. She'd whistle, and sometimes when I people, I'd throw, I'd throw folks off because they, they think I sound like a man whistling. <laughs> I don't know how that sounds, but I always thought that was very interesting. But I grew up with a lot of music, a lot of genres of music. I loved every kind of music, and of course that had a lot to do with my mother and her interest in singing the music. Did you like her music? Because, of course, a lot of kids don't like their parents' music. Or did, did you rebel at some point about with her music? The, the first song that you gave us uh-huh. was an uh, Guantanamera by Celia Cruz. Now, we, we looked this up, and it was interesting that this, this song, it's not exactly sure who originally created it. A uh, Jose Fernandez Diaz, also known as Joseito Fernandez, claimed to have written it at various mm-hmm. dates. 1929 is one of them. But it's also been attributed parts of it to Herminio El Diablo Garcia Wilson, who is credited as a co-composer. And there's sort of there's still discussion about this. This is a, a Cuban song, Cuban mm-hmm. patriotic song. W- one thing that I've learned uh, in the Southwest is that you know when we when we look at things from a, from a distance, we tend to merge them as part mm-hmm. of our visual field. And so when people say Latino or Hispanic, they think it's like one big block of people who are all the Mexican. same. It, it, in all, this all area, the same. Everyone yeah. Believes but if that you go to s- different parts of the country, it might be Cuban, it might be Puerto, Puerto Rican, Rican, and those are. You know, and again, from a distance, you think, okay, a Hispanic, but no, you find that they're very distinct cultures, maybe even distinct ways of, of, of speaking. So and you picked diverse. a Cuban song as yes. one of your favorites. Could you tell us the story behind that? Well, it was introduced to me by one of my teachers in, in grade school. And the moment that I heard it, I loved it. And I think I loved it, too, because I think the other part of the schools in Lubbock, they were trying to really integrate and make all the students accept the fact that they were American and and this is how we did it and that's the only way. But this teacher, her thinking was very diverse. She wanted to introduce us to different genres of music. She wanted to introduce us to just a variety of songs. And this is one of the songs that she introduced to me that I really, I love that Latin beat. So right off the bat, you know, it was something that I could culturally connect to and um, reminded me of home, which I have a very diverse background. I am a Latina, my father is Mexican-American, and my mother is Spanish-American. So I had the best of both worlds, and 
it was always very interesting to hear all the wonderful stories and experience the different types of culture that, that they both brought to the table at my home. We'll listen to Guantanamera, which, which means woman from Guantanamo, mm-hmm. but it must have meant something different in 1929 <laughs> than Guantanamo means today, of course. And in the second grade, you really don't know what it means, but oh, okay. it's a great... It was a great song, and I, like I said, I loved the rhythm of it. So it was it was just a, a really awesome, and it had brought a lot of energy, as you can hear. Yo soy un hombre sincero De donde crece la palma Yo soy un hombre sincero De donde crece la palma Y antes de morir So you were saying that at that time, a lot of people in the school system felt that they needed to anglicize, essentially, Hispanic children, and that there wasn't as much discussion about Hispanic heritage culture within the schools? That's absolutely right. I mean, it was, you know, of course, I mean, I grew up with a, with parents that didn't want me to speak Spanish. And the reason is because my father personally went through so many struggles when he was in the second grade. He was, a, him and his friends were standing off to the corner and they were talking in Spanish. And so the teacher took them all to the office and said that they were conspiring to take over the school. And with experiences like that, your parents don't want you to have that same type of history repeat itself. So my dad was just really, didn't want, um, he didn't want us to speak Spanish. So, and my grandfather who actually lived next door, he was such a big role model for me. I would walk on over and he would demand that I only speak Spanish. So it was very interesting. But, you know, when you're that age, you really don't see a lot of, um, you're not really understanding cultural issues and whatnot. But I um, like to watch PBS. I grew up, I'm a PBS kid and loved shows like Sesame Street. And there was one in particular called Via Alegre. And Via Alegre was a bilingual show on PBS. And I used to love that because it allowed me to feel a connection to something. You know, I had great teachers, I have to say. So you saw yourself growing up at a time where crossing borders was not as embraced as an idea of going between one culture and another than what we talk about today. And let one, me interrupt the, you, because mm, something important that yeah. my grandfather always instilled, we didn't cross the border, the border crossed us. So I grew up with knowing that for us, this was home. We were Texans. That was kind of the first lesson that was taught. We were Texans of Hispanic heritage. So something very important, but you know, we were also American. So he, he just resented being labeled. That was something significant growing up. I will say that. And of course, America is a country of people who came with different heritage, different cultures, mm-hmm. and struggled to find an equilibrium. Often, often there were conflicts within families, sometimes about language. And my father's parents uh, came here from Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they spoke English when they got off uh, the boat. I mean, they learned. And of course, first generation doesn't learn as well as the second and the, and the third. I, I am struck about um, the question of speaking Spanish. You know, I always tell students 
that probably today one of the best job skills you can have, just practical applied job skill, is to be multilingual. Absolutely. Um, and Spanish is certainly one of the languages you should be multilingual. Although I'll also tell students it's, it's good to learn how to write in English too. You know, and just because you have a your last name is Smith doesn't mean you're guaranteed to be a good English communicator either, as we, we know sometimes grading papers. I'm interested to find how many times I meet uh, students who are obviously of Hispanic descent, have a Hispanic surname, grew up in a Hispanic family within the United States, maybe multi-generations here, but who will tell me, you know, with a smile that they don't speak Spanish very well. And they I don't, speak they don't Spanish write. and I speak it well. I read it and I write it. And, um, of course, as I mentioned, my dad was discouraged it. But I think, you know, it was the 70s and we were children. I had the good fortune of having a teacher named Mrs. Arredondo. Actually, in my first grade teacher was Mrs. Abeta, then Mrs. Arredondo, and then I had this amazing teacher. To this day, if I could see her again and reconnect with her, I would tell her what an, an inspiration she was to me. Her name was Mrs. James, and she lived in South America. So she would often speak Spanish, and it was so refreshing to see someone that was not of Hispanic descent speaking the language and embracing the culture, and really proud of, of, of who we were. And that, to me, was an individual that really prompted me to want to even be more fluent in the language. And of course, like I said, go to my granddad's, and he'd insist in, on speaking Spanish. So that's what I would do, is I would speak Spanish and converse with him. Then at school, I had, you know, I would read with Mrs. James or Mrs., you know, all the other teachers. But it, when I was in the third grade, or second grade, actually, you know, when you have to do this linguistics or your reading test, I actually had a 10th grade reading level. And once again, I think it was being bilingual and shows like Sesame Street, Electric Company, and Via Alegre that also helped me to be able to read and and really move and, and be influenced by languages. And you are definitely somebody that moves in between multiple communities. One of your other songs, and you, you've mentioned to, to me before about you being the world's biggest Beatles fan. and Beatles. Uh, you love the Beatles. And one of the other songs is, of course, the famous Hey Jude from the Beatles. Let, let's listen to it first, and then I've got a question for you. Hey Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better Remember to let her into your heart Then you can start to make it better Hey Jude, don't be afraid You were made Now, 
the Beatles, they really typify a time and a place, 60s, 70s. Is your attraction to them the music and the time and the spirit? Well, obviously for the 60s, I, I was too young yeah. for that. Yeah. But I guess, you know, my mother and father loved music, as I mentioned. And so we had all sorts of, of songs or in those days, um, al- record albums and eight tracks. So when my parents would leave, my sisters and I would pop in all the Beatles. And I remember we used to cling to Yellow Submarine, you know. It was that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it was just so exciting to hear this kind of music. Didn't understand the messages. It wasn't until I was an adult when I could really appreciate some of the messages and and the messages of social change and even experiences, like I also mentioned, to, to learn what Hey Jude was in reference to divorce, which my parents divorced much later in my life. As when, yeah, my the song life. was originally called Hey Jules, Lennon addressing his son mm-hmm. about his divorce from his son's mother and then marrying Yoko Ono. You know? Yes, and, yeah. and it was kind of sad because it was, you know, in the Hispanic community, marriage is, I mean, it's all about the sanctity of marriage. And so I never thought that my parents would divorce. It was just one of those things because all the families and the couples around were married for life. So it it really struck me. And I remember watching my mother cry one time when she was listening to that song. So definitely a tearjerker for me, but it's part of life. And I saw them grow into two different people and with different lives later on. Music is often tied to a particular time, and the next song that you listed for us, and, and I'll, I'll let you pronounce it, Santa Ana's Oye Kamava. Oye Kamava. Now, this was a, uh, uh, you were telling us about your Uncle John mm-hmm. went to fight in Vietnam. Right. And he came home from, from Vietnam, and your mother made some special food for him, pizza. And- my mother was, you know, my, my parents are really young. My parents are in their 60s. And at that time, you know... And you're 27. I just want to point that out, right? Well, yeah, actually, yeah. 28 for life is, is right. what I've told yeah. everyone. But my parents, are, you know, they... I guess you could say they were kind of hippies. You know, they were activists and whatnot. But my, they would have these gatherings. And my Uncle John came back from Vietnam after serving a couple of tours or two or three tours in Vietnam. And I remember... You know, they had this big party and, you know, all this dance music. And my mother had made her famous pizzas. And it was a, it was a, it was a fun time. And I took advantage of the audience. It went from person to person singing a song. And if they were willing to make a, a donation, I would sing that song for them, which was the song of their choice if I knew it. So it was kind of fun. And um, I still remember carrying that piggy bank around. And I also remember that my uncle, you know, while this big fun party was going on, that you could see like this kind of a look to his face, like really not sure if he was supposed to be there. And I, I mean, I can distinctly see his face right now. And it, you know, I guess it was a sign of, of what he had experienced, but for everybody else, it was, it was a hopeful time. You 
started Latino Love I Could, but did you know very early that you wanted to be a publisher? I mean, I, I know you were interested in journalism. Now, of course, you went to a certain college. That's <laughs> right. At that time, we were actually a school of journalism and mass communication when, mm-hmm. when you attended. Were you bitten early with the idea about communicating across cultures? Absolutely. And part of the reason that I wanted to go into communications is because in the media, oftentimes, I, don't, I didn't see images of folks like myself you know, that we're sharing this news and information. And so I wanted to go to school and to be a news anchor. And so that was originally what I had aspired. But then I stumbled on public relations and found that very intriguing because I thought, wow, I can help to set a tone and and create an image and an attitude about a topic. And I felt like that topic needed to be the Hispanic community. And so... Texas Tech, of course, I think when I was attending school, probably one of maybe five people of color in my department, but it didn't matter. I wasn't there for that. I was there to get my education, and when opportunities came, I made the most of them. So it was was definitely a good time, but it did through that. I mean, I got my first camera when I was about 10 years old, and in some regard, I was already photographing events around me. So I think I was destined to do something related to the field of communications, whether it was showing photos or sharing stories about it, which I often do. Now, you met your husband, Frank, Mm -hmm. in college. I did. Now, uh, for those of you, for the old, I guess there's nobody in West Texas who doesn't know you and Frank, but for other people, (laughs) you and Frank, I I would classify as different people in a lot of ways. Temperamentally, you are leaning more towards democratic liberalism sometimes in some things. No, I wouldn't quite say that. I consider myself an independent. Independent. And but you've introduced Frank as your conservative Republican he husband. He is. Yeah. He's very conservative. Right. He is Republican. He was raised Southern Baptist. He grew up in the country, and I was raised, you know, in the city by my our parents. You know, his parents were like so much older. So when I first met his parents, I was like, wow, you know, here's my parents that were young and hip, involved, very civ- civic minded, and Frank's parents were very traditional very conservative, Southern Baptist, just a completely So you were meant different. for each other. You know, Absolutely. I, I always, I, when, nobody asks me for this advice, but I always give it anyway for people who are single. I always say, you know, I don't understand these dating sites where people try to find someone who's compatible. In other words, you're trying to marry yourself. Exactly. And I think, I think that gets boring after a while. And I'm, I'm very lucky also to be married to somebody who's very different than mm-hmm. me. And I think it, we're still fascinated by each other after some 20 years or so. And it sounds like you also have that kind of marriage where, where the differences bring out more interest in, and unity. Absolutely. And the thing about Frank, he, he came to tech to become an electrical engineer. I was a communications, as you can see, right wing, I mean, right brain, left brain, completely different. But it just clicked. And a part of the reason that I think Frank was so attractive to me, I didn't like him at first, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but what helped to evolve that relationship was he has a great sense of humor. I mean, and he's just, his people skills are amazing. He just fits in wherever he goes, and people liked him. But great sense of humor, and the best part is he was a Christian man. And that's what I was looking for, someone that shared those values with me, because although I wasn't as conservative as as Frank was, um, I had some very faith-driven values, and 
and I like that. And he just matched with me, so here we are, 25 years later. And one of the songs you've listed as your husband Frank's fa- favorite song as well, Together by Tierra. Mm-hmm. And this was by a Mexican-American group that first performed it on the Solid Gold show on, t- <laughs> on television. I'm revealing my age, but I was a little girl. I was oh, in I, elementary I, I school. Remember, I remember Solid Gold. Tell, tell us about was that was Is that your special song? or? or well, it, it did become for the two of us later, but when I was a kid, I mean, you know, we copied, you mimicked Solid Gold. Everybody wanted to, you'd hear the song and then they'd have a dance. So my sisters and I and all the neighborhood kids would do similar things. So when Frank and I met, in 1987, September 17th, 1987, at a Hispanic student reception right here at Texas Tech, we finally went on a date, and that song played, and he liked it, and I liked it. It became the official song of Christian Frank, so every now and then he'll call this a local radio station, and they have, like, classics and old-school music, and that's the song he always requests. Now, tell us how an electrical engineer and a public relations major founded West Texas's premier Latino-Hispanic magazine. Well, actually, Frank is not part of the publication. It's actually mine, and Frank is Frank's my best friend. Let me just tell you that. He's my best friend. Because he's told me he tells you what to do. And every, cause <laughs> everybody who knows you knows that you're, you're sort of soft-spoken, not very Submissive. opinionated. <laughs> that would not be me, and Frank knew that from the beginning. Frank is, like I said, my best friend. He's my confidant, and he's my husband. We make it a point, you know, whenever there's issues that I want to talk about, I'll share with him and get his advice just to get a different perspective, an engineer perspective, because they do make some of the best CEOs, I will say that. But he is just my support system, and I'm very blessed to have a husband like Frank. He is a wonderful guy, great husband, great father, great friend. I'll tell you, he is a good, good man, and I'm very blessed, and I don't take advantage of that or take that for granted every day. Well, tell us how you decided. I mean, in retro- like a lot of great ideas in retrospect, boy, of course, you know, West <laughs> Texas needs a Latino-Hispanic magazine. But uh, as you know, uh, new startups in the world of newspapers and magazines are, have a very, even, t- even uh, 20 years ago, have a very high failure rate. Sure. What led you to do this, and how did you do it? Well, I actually worked for West Texas Hispanic News for Ernest Barton here in Lubbock, Texas, when I was in college. So I kind of had an understanding of the media business. But to come back to Lubbock, and you know, I remember praying to God and saying, "Okay, I'm back." First, you know, when I had prayed, I said, "Okay, God, put me where you need me." And he brought me back to Lubbock. And at first, I thought, you know, God's a comedian, but then I realized there was a purpose for me here. And so I was watching the news and kept seeing all these negative stories. And then 
read the paper and just, you know, here I was working in Washington, Washington D.C. for National Council of La Raza, one of the largest Hispanic think tank organizations in the world. And so you see all these amazing things happening in the Hispanic community on a national level. And locally, it just wasn't there. So I start, I mean, I put all of my college skills into play, held my focus groups, met with a lot of people, did one-on-ones. I did everything to prepare and make sure that when I started this publication, it would be a fine-tuned product. And sure enough, you know, of course, we change and we grow and we learn and we make additions all the time, but it's been very consistent. We come out the first day of every month, first or second day of every month. We've never been late. You know, when we say we're going to be there, we've been early. But, you know, it's it covers everything from politics that are very non-biased, but they come from a Latino perspective, to health and wellness, to education. You can even find scholarships listed in our publication. We have a youth page. We have a faith and religion page. We have a sports page. They came a little later, but... You know, we have such an array of stories, and when you look at it, so many photographs of issues and stories and people in our community. And I think that's what our community wanted, you know, based on our conversations with them. That's what they wanted, and that's what we delivered. Now, you have a long heritage of hard work, and it wasn't all public relations. Mm -hmm. You, You worked picking cotton. In the cotton when, fields. Well, and it's kind of a funny story. Here I had all these cousins that would go pick cotton in the summer to make a little money to go back to school. Well, I had become a cheerleader at Evans Junior High. And unlike the other cheerleaders, I had to raise the money. So my cousins made working in the fields sound very attractive. And so I thought, you know what, I need the money and I will go work in the fields. And so I went and I didn't pick cotton, we hoed cotton. It was not fun, but it, what was fun is I was with all these teenagers and all these friends of our cousins and friends and friends. And so, I mean, there was never a dull moment. There was always jokes. There was always laughing and just a lot of it. In that regard, it was fun. Some memories that, you know, I loved. And during that time, there was somebody would always bring a radio, you know, one of those little transistor radios music would be playing so when a song would come on they'd say oh that's my favorite song so everybody had a favorite song but it was really cool to hear music while you were working and having fun so eventually I did raise all the money but it was some hard work I will say that well we always try to tell students that no work experience is wasted although some is some are more helpful than others Mm -hmm. when you started Latino Lubbock how many people worked for you besides you were you were you the, was, the entire staff? It was what? me, myself, yeah. and I. Yeah. So 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 a lot of the lessons and experiences you had from your family, from your work, played a role. One of your songs, which you relate to that, to working in the cotton field, is Linda Ronstadt, "Heat Wave." Oh yeah. You were mentioning to me that uh, you love all of Linda Ronstadt music, um, it, and and of course she now she has a Hispanic. Yeah, heritage. Yeah, yeah, she does. And yeah. I actually got to see her in concert. But the thing about Linda Ronstadt is that her the genres of music, of course, she's done rock, which I love classic rock and rock music. She also did um, big band music. She did a mariachi CD. She's done country. She's done it all. So anything Linda Ronstadt, I loved. And, you know, I love big band music as well. But Heat Wave, just being out there in the cotton field, I remember when it played... It was like 
I mean, we had such a laugh with it because we were like, oh, yeah, we have a heat wave in Lubbock. And before you know it, all this joking. But it was so much fun. Incidentally, Linda Ronstadt, I got to meet her in Tucson, Arizona at, at an event. And, um, you know, that's her stomping ground over there. And, I, I mean, a person that I, I thought was very awesome. Of course, she was a political person. I thought that was very interesting about her. And now she's been recently diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. started Latino Lubbock you were the staff and you, you but you got financing mm-hmm. who, who believed in you to to let you well start let me this? tell you a little yeah. bit about yeah. myself is that I'm very frugal with my money or I just always my father raised me to he always said I want to have he had four daughters by the way so I had three sisters he wanted to raise independent young women that could be self-sufficient so education was always the message you got to get an education you got to get your degree you got to go to school college 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 my dad of course a college graduate so he was constantly got to go to school you got to save your money you got to save every penny if you get if you get 50 bucks then save 25 and so it was that lesson of always saving your money and that's what I did I bought my first house when I was 24 years old which is a pretty big accomplishment I think and I just always saved money. I always had that emergency emergency fund. So that when the time came for Latino Lubbock, I did all the research and whatnot. And I worked out of my guest bedroom at my home. So that was kind of the savings. And I just balanced everything and started really, I had my own seed money. So I didn't have to depend on anyone. And I thought that was a, a great way to start a business. So, you know, I was very self-sufficient. And now, how many people work at Latino Lubbock? We have, including contributors, probably about 12 people. And what is your circulation? Our circulation is 20,000, but we have about 100,000 readers a month. You have usually five people that read a publication, and we're really proud of that. And let me tell you, when our paper comes out, you know, I still make it a point every now and then to go and see when they're doing deliveries. I used to help deliver, but thank God I don't have to do that anymore. But when I do... I love when we're putting the new publication out and people are like, oh, let me have a copy. Can I have two? Can I have three? And they're picking it up. And it's really exciting to see that they embrace the new issue every month. It's it's really, it makes you proud of, of your work and what the image that people have of you. So always very proud of that. 
in order to be a publisher of a magazine and certainly start one, mm-hmm. you have to have versatility. And one of the other singers that you've told us you admired is Bette Midler. And oh, the song yes. is The Wind Beneath My Wings. Mm-hmm. And you, you said one of the reasons you like her is that just like Linda Ronstadt, she's done many different things. She hasn't only stuck to one genre and one you know type of music. Mm-hmm. And that's the amazing thing about Bette Midler. Again, you know, I remember seeing her like part of the rose and seeing that concert and thinking wow this chick is something else and then later on seeing her do um, one of my favorite cds that she has is she did a remake of rosemary clooney songs so i love love that cd and i mean every kind of music that she does i love so she did some of the the i, I don't know what kind of genre but kind of the 30s 40s music from world war ii time era was like a, Bugle Boys. There was a movie she did with James Kahn for the boys. Mm-hmm. Was that the, from the soundtrack? They, they play the sort of over the lifetime of two. I don't. I didn't see the movie, so I don't mm-hmm. think they got married mm-hmm. within the the story space or not. But they were singers who often went to sing for the troops. Right. Right. Well, I mean, that's the thing about Bad Midler, the versatility, and I think when when you and I think I'm very much like these women in that regard that. I can move in different circles, and I love that versatility about life. I don't want the same thing every day. I want to, you know, I love opera music. I love classic music. Big band music is, like, really moves my soul. Or is my spirit is moved by mariachi music, but I love classic rock. People freak out when I, one day I got the, I was watching an ACD concert, posted something on Facebook, and they're like, I just would never connect you with ACDC. But to this day, it's one of my favorite bands. So I always think, who can't be versatile in that regard? It must have been cold there in my shadow To never have sunlight on your face You were content to let me Back to your grandfather, you have been a very, very positive force in community relations mm-hmm. in, in Lubbock. And is it true that just people call you out of the blue and just say, I'm having a problem and I, I need help? Frequently. And I think a lot of that is, you know, I think I've always had this old soul growing up because I had, I grew up around adults. And, you know, when you were a child and 
there would there was adult conversations. I would make it a point to sit behind the couch so they would know I was there and I would listen. But having this grandfather and a grandmother that were my neighbors, my grandfather, my, my paternal grandfather lived on one side of, of me and then on the block across the street, across the alleyway, was my grandmother, my other grandparents, my maternal grandparents. So my grandmother, oh my God, she just recently passed, but that woman, I loved her with my heart and soul. And to have someone like her and a grandfather and communicate, hear the history of, of who I was and where I came from and their histories and, and just to have conversations about everything in life, I think it helped me to really embrace people's differences and you know when I can and that's what I love about people is I value them as individuals because I think everybody does have a story and everybody is has a purpose and they're here to contribute that purpose and I don't care what they do as long as they share that with you know 100% I can assure you that I am going to believe in them 100% so I do have a lot of folks that call me and like to share their experiences or they're sad and whatnot, and that just—it's flattering to know that that they regard me in that in that regard, or that they regard me in that in that ability. And, and I see it when you're talking to them. It doesn't matter whether you're talking to the mayor or the police chief, or a busboy or a waiter. Which you, we have you, a great you, police you, chief. You have you. <laughs> accord them all the dignity we deserve as individuals as, as humans you treat them all equally and, and it's a testament to you that you know you've had this success in life but that it's not it's it, i don't want to say the trite thing of like you haven't forgotten your roots but I, I don't think you ever left your roots in the sense that you always say human beings deserve to be treated as human beings every day every day and i appreciate you saying that but i take a lot of pride in that that's why when people say, well, this is Christy Martinez, the Hispanic leader, and I'm always like, am I just a Hispanic leader? I mean, can I just be that person that is committed to her community that just happens to be Hispanic? And, um, you know, I, I just take pride in this Lubbock community. So, you know, now that's not to say that there's not those individuals that don't appreciate my perspective, because there's always those. But I think I ha probably have that reputation that if there's an issue that needs to be addressed, I'm not going to stand back from it because it needs to be addressed. Because I, again, I believe in, in equality and, and, and I wanna see this community really experience the opportunities that can exist for the greater good of this community. So. Now, a song that you picked for us that certainly is one of the most famous ones of the Beatles, but also um, actually coming from John Lennon after he left the Beatles, excuse mm -hmm. me, uh, Imagine, uh, probably one of the most well-known songs about hope, mm -hmm. but but some of the the, the lyrics yeah, there are not yeah. exactly the hope that somebody maybe you, you for example you've described yourself as a religious person. Yes, and yes. one of the hopes in the song is imagine that there's no no God and no heaven. Right. That's probably yeah. the well, and I don't I when I first heard that line I didn't take it like that. I took it as God is hope. So imagine if there was no God, then we would lose hope because. You know, and that's how I interpreted that. Maybe it has a different meaning, but for me, I think that song ha demonstrates the uh, the possibilities that that even our own community has. And so I've always loved that song. And then, incidentally, my daughter shares a birthday with John Lennon, October 9th. So 
I think that's another positive thing and another reason that I like the song so much is because I can share, look, listen to the song, and this is like that hope for you. And let me plug, by the way, that your daughter is a student in our college. Yes. And that you and, and your husband, Frank, were recently honored as being parent, Texas Tech parents of the year. Absolutely. It's such an honor to be recognized like that because, you know, one, I only had one biological child, but I've been blessed with a lot of college students that have crossed my path that I've got to listen to, help out in some regard, and just be that support for them here in Lubbock while they were here if they weren't from here. And um, so being selected as Texas Tech Parents of the Year, really, it, it, it was, again, very flattering and What's really exciting for me is that my daughter, of course, is the second generation of Texas Tech alumni, or will be. She graduates in May. I, I have to sign a paper first, so we'll see. <laughs> Please we, do that. Yeah, okay. And can you also sign to make sure we get our reimbursement because she's doing it under four years? Thank you very much. <laughs> that, that's another testament to you, yeah. And you know, and I told her, I said, it's so much easier for you than it was for me because you had that support that you know that my, that my parents didn't want to give. It's just that at times they were limited. But it's it's a really exciting time because my daughter and I have now received some of the same scholarships. We've been part of the same organizations. And for Hispanic families, that's not often something that you see. So she truly has a legacy here. And, and I'm very proud that now she will be able to call herself a Texas Tech alumni. I take a lot of pride in that. If you notice, you go by my office, you'll see a lot of Texas Tech. If you, anything I do, Texas Tech is very important to me. So it's, it's important for Texas Tech to be a part of not only who I am, but my publication, and to support families like myself because it demonstrates true commitment to the community. Now, do you have uh, specific hopes for Amaris? Have you tried to uh, give a hint about any direction that she should go in? Mean, she's, she's majoring in public relations, right? right? So she's, so, like she's following mother. in your, your footsteps. Even though I remember her saying, I won't do that. And one day, you know, I think I'm going to do that. I'm like, uh, that's how it always happens. 
But there's no question Amherst will be now working on her master's degree here in the, the College of Communications, of Media and Communications. So that's very important. I, I told her, I said, it's great to get the bachelor's, but now you go to the next level. And hopefully she'll go on even after that. But education, I think, for her in this time is so significant. She will be going to Spain to um, do her first semester of graduate school there with a program that, that another professor here at Tech, Dr. Comfort Pratt, introduced her to. And so she'll be going to Salamanca and learning a little bit about the Spanish language and, and the heritage and lots of things happening there. So I'm pretty excited about that for her. But hopefully Amherst just aspires to be good at whatever she does and will continue to support her. The next song that you told us about was The Eagles, I Can't Tell You Why, Don Henley singing. And you mentioned that you took your husband to see The Eagles in concert at the United Spirit Arena here in, in Lubbock. And this is this is how much of an engineer your husband was. <laughs> this was his first concert ever. What, what year was this? It was not too long ago <laughs> <laughs> when The Eagles were here last. My, I know this. My daughter was in elementary school. We went, um, and I forgot to tell you that not only was it his first concert, remember he grew up in a very, you know, traditional conservative, they didn't do concerts. He didn't even know how to dance. But I took him to the Eagles concert. We sat on the floor, the second row from the stage, in the center. What a way to experience your first concert. It was amazing. The music was, I mean, I still remember and when that song played, he said, thanks for bringing me to this. What a great gift. And, you know, after that, we bought him a CD and whatnot. And to this day, I think he's burnt a hole in that CD. He plays it so much, but definitely a good memory for the two of us. Has he gone to other concerts since then? or Nope. Was that about it? You That's know, about it. I mean, I forced <laughs> him to to go see opera, and and I love the symphony, and, and I love, you know, all of that stuff. But uh, not he hasn't had the privilege of going to another um, concert like that. But hopefully there will be other. I, what I told him is I'd like to go see Santana sit on the first row. And I think that will be a great experience for the two of us. song is a Latin song uh, by Lalo Guerrero, mm -hmm. Barrio Viejo. Barrio Viejo. I'm going to, I'm going to. And it means old I've neighborhood. Actually, I just want to tell the, the, our audience here that I actually tried to study these things, but, but I, have a, a no, terrible, I have a terrible pronunciation. Interestingly enough, when we go to other countries, they're encouraging their children to speak three or four languages. And I've been to many countries out of the United States. And that is just a given. 
they're speaking multiple languages, which kind of gets them ahead in education and opportunities that exist in the world. You know, now, even with my own daughter, I encourage that she be multilingual. So I'm always telling her, like, she got to go to Japan as a junior ambassador for the city of Lubbock when she was 13 years old. And she made it a point to learn some Japanese. When we traveled to Turkey and China, we learned a little bit about those languages. So she got to experience and use some of the phrases, not so much sentence or have conversations, but still sometimes somebody will say something and she'll say, no, it's actually this. She remembers the words. And then, of course, Spanish is something that I am constantly encouraging for her to speak because even when I traveled to China, I got to speak Spanish and communicate with one of the Chinese uh, market people. So I was able to um, get a better price for an item just because they spoke Spanish and so did I. So it kind of worked to my advantage. But I also believe, why would you limit yourself to just the world in front of you? There's a world around you and you need to embrace it and experience it, learn the culture, learn the language. You know, my grandfather always said this, hablar dos idiomas es como ser dos personas. To be able to speak two languages is like being two people. So that's why I tell my daughter, look for, I mean, make it a point to learn Spanish and speak Spanish and want to embrace your Spanish culture and then turn around and use it whenever you're finding and seeking a job. Or other other languages, or you other, said Japanese, and, and of course there are many other languages which are important to the future of And of you know, success. when I went yeah. to Turkey, I made it a point to learn Turkish, so after a while they couldn't talk about us or talk about me, but I loved, you know, that language as well. It's very interesting. Now, Barrio Vieja, Viejo? You, Viejo, you were saying on a drive returning from Tucson, Arizona, you were listening to NPR program interviewing Lalo Guerrero, mm-hmm. also known as the father of Chicano music, and mm-hmm. this song was part of the inspiration to start Latino Lubbock Magazine. Yes, and you know, I have to tell you just a little bit, I was working in Washington, D.C., If you've ever been in Washington, you know that this is a city of, like, you're either single or your kids have grown up or you're young and you have no children. I had a daughter. I had a family, my husband and my daughter. So sometimes I would leave. I would leave at 6 a.m. and wouldn't return till 10 p.m. Because after work, then we would also do evening events. And there was an event in D.C. every single night. So I had to pick you know, I had to come back and either pick my career or pick my family. And that was an, a given, picked my family. So we moved back to, to Lubbock, as I mentioned. I prayed about where we were going, and here we were in Lubbock. Two months later, my husband gets transferred to Tucson, Arizona with his company. So we decided that we, you know, we had family here. We would keep a home here and also set up a home in Tucson, Arizona, and just commute. We did that for almost four years. But in the first year, as I was driving home, I was listening to this amazing interview with Lalo Guerrero that had occurred before he had passed. The song came on, Barrio Viejo, and it was it just struck me. It was so powerful, and it was almost as he was answering, you know, what I should be doing, and that was to serve my community. And, you know, my grandfather always told me, don't forget where you came from. I had already told you that I had watched some of the local media and was a little bit despaired of, of the images I was seeing because I didn't want to repeat for my daughter, especially after we had experienced, you know, being in another place and the acceptance. I wanted her to have a positive image of 
who she was, where she came from, and all of that. And so that's what kind of prompted Latino Lubbock magazine. And so to this day, I've even written a little bit about that, but it's an amazing song. Viejo barrio, barrio viejo Solo hay lugares parejos Donde un día hubo casas Donde vivió nuestra casa Solo quedan los escombros De los hogares felices that you picked for us is Open the Eyes of My Heart by Michael W. Smith. And you have said to us that you've always been a Christian, but you said that this song reminds you of being born again and accepting God as your Lord and Savior and that you get emotional every time that you hear it. So I got emotional just hearing you read that. You know, I, I've always been taught that you start with a positive message at the beginning of your morning, you will have a good day. That was something that I always learned. That's why my mother's whistling was always like, it set the tone of the day. Do you have favorite books or passages in the Bible? Oh, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not hurt you. And I think that right there, just God is already saying, whoever you are and whatever you do, I already know what, even before you knew, I already know who you're supposed to be and what you're going to achieve and what is to come. And if you trusted me, I will give you the world and give you favor. God is just to me, if you trust in him, you never have to worry. That's what I believe. That's a message of hope, inspiration, and action, and we will leave you today. Thank you, Christy Martinez-Garcia, with the sound of Open the Eyes of My Heart by Michael W. Smith. Wonderful. Open the eyes of my heart, Open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you. I want to see you. Lift it up, let me hear you. Open the eyes of my heart. 